Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Number four and going to the playoff to face Clemson will be... The Alabama Crimson Tide <laughs> for the fourth straight year. Is there, is there somebody missing? Hurt Street, hey, no, come on, come Harvey. Harvey, come back. I, I cannot. We, I we have a first the, time. I am no Ohio State Buckeye fan. I have often called them the Luckeyes, so I'm being completely and utterly objective when I say Ohio State just got all-time robbed and jobbed all time that's where you'd like to see him throw it away nobody's open you got to give up on the play throw it away get outside of the pocket and play on second and ten that's his youth right there thank you by Loa trying to make up for it fires to the end zone touchdown Alabama wins are you not entertained are you not entertained is this not why you are here? Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. I'm joined by my partner, Brad Canning. Later on in this episode, we will bring you two guests, both Aaron Suttles from the Tuscaloosa News and Cole Kublick from the SEC Network. So we're excited about that. But first things first, Brad, Alabama has won the 2017 National Championship. It's fifth under Coach Nick Saban. And there's a growing sentiment that this could have been the best coaching job of his career. Thoughts? Yeah, you know, we kind of hit on that last week as a teaser, not knowing we would win and the way that we did win. And, you know, all of that put together with this entire year of the coaching job that he has done with the adversity this team has faced. You think about the players we lost last year in the draft. That's probably the most under-talked-about topic with this year's team and the job they did. All the injuries that we were cursed at linebacker, guys stepping off buses, spraining ankles, coaching changes again. It's just the result of this entire season when it's highs and its lows and everything surrounding this team it's youth and injuries all it's by far his best coaching job that he's ever done in a one-year span with everything that led up to this year yeah the, there are a couple of factors in this for me but the one glaring thing the one that a thing that i think everybody will point to is the injuries right I read an article from Chris Walsh. He he put it out on December 26th, right before the playoffs started. And it stated that only three players who are listed as defensive starters had played in every game this season, which is kind of a mind-blowing stat, right? Those three are Anthony Averett, 
Ronnie Harrison, and Deron Payne. If you tell me that in August, I say there's almost no chance that this team ends up even in the playoffs. Kind of went down the list, guys that missed a significant amount of time due to injury. Rashawn Evans missed two games. Minka missed some of the uh, some some time against LSU, which is a, a pretty important game, obviously. Deshaun Hand missed three games. Anthony Jennings misses two at the start of the season, and obviously the national championship after possibly his best performance of the year against Clemson. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. I felt like I was a uh, broken clock because every time an injury popped up, and as much as they did, and as often as they did, especially closer to the end of the season, I'm I'm repeating myself, going, "Yep, it's just not our year. We're first. You know, uh, 2018 is going to be great. You know, we're not making the playoffs. I'd rather not make the playoffs and catch an L." And I mean, I'll be damned. It, it was. It, it's it's insane because when you go back and you think about the Florida State game, and you think about the injuries and the season-ending injuries that we expected them to be and those guys actually were able to come back and you know to close out the season strong and lead this team to a national championship but you think about the ones in between guys even stepping up or falling down yeah. uh, it, it's, it's just incredible I've never seen for a position group this amount of injuries for one area but I guess that's a good thing and why you recruit so heavily you know in certain position groups is to have the next man up who's probably as talented maybe rough on the edges but can come on in and, you know, fill his role at least other than Keith Holcomb. There, there's even other other positions and other guys like Hootie Jones. Hootie Jones misses the playoffs. We're all aware, like you said, the Florida State game, the injuries to, to Terrell Lewis and Christian Miller, which sideline, sideline them for 10 games. And who steps in, in, in place of some of those guys is Dylan Moses. Well, Dylan Moses goes down. He misses the playoffs. One of the more important guys that maybe gets overlooked by some of our fan base, I would think, is Sean Dion Hamilton. He fractures his kneecap versus LSU, misses the rest of the season. That, that's an important missing piece against teams that throw the ball around the field a lot. Mac Wilson, LeBron Ray, they both miss a couple games. That's seven linebackers that miss significant time. <laughs> seven. Yeah, Sean had me. Yeah, Sean had me crying before kickoff when he tweeted out, "You know, you guys don't know the pain of having to watch your team play for two national championships on the sideline." Oh, it was just um, brutal. I mean, brutal I to see him go down. Yeah. And then Mac Wilson having surgery coming back two weeks, uh, three weeks later playing. Josh Jacobs comes out, you know, that uh, this week he was playing on a broken foot since week four. Um, I mean, this this team, it's just unreal what they did and how they persevered through all of this. Yeah, Brad, there is I'm very confident in saying this. There is not another program or coach in the nation that could have suffered that many injuries on one side of the ball and ended up in a position to even be in the playoffs, much less win them. No, oh, and I'm here to tell you, Coach Saban won the national championship this year with everything that happened to this team. If he won a national championship with all of this happening, there's no other situation that could happen that he won't win a national championship that you can't put excuses on. That's that being why. Yeah, and in addition to the injuries, if you just think about the actual national championship game itself, he had to make a decision at halftime to pull a quarterback in Jalen Hurts, and which we'll kind of get into the Jalen Tua thing later on in this episode. But he makes a decision to pull a quarterback in Jalen Hurts, who won the SEC Offensive Player of the Year award a year ago as a true freshman, who was 25 and 2, like everybody says, and replace him with a guy who I wouldn't say hasn't played meaningful minutes because any minute is meaningful, but. He played mostly in garbage time as a true freshman. And with all that said, you'd kind of be hard-pressed to convince me that this is not the best coaching job of his career. There's zero chance that anyone not named Nick Saban pulls that off. No, and it's just incredible to think that 
two years ago against Clemson round one, I think that was the beginning of his evolution as a head coach. You know, Lane Kiffin probably kicked that off bringing him in, but that halftime decision, the onside kick, and then this halftime decision this year, he has done more evolving for what we thought and how he's labeled as a coach and decisions and not really wanting to step outside of his comfort zone. In the last two years, he's done more of that than the entire part of his career before that combined. All right, and joining us first this week is going to be Aaron Suttles with the Tuscaloosa News. Aaron, we appreciate you coming on again. And uh, with all the coaching moves being publicly known now, Alabama kind of wanted to ask you, what's the likelihood that Coach Loxley is going to be the offensive coordinator? And, you know, with Hugh Freeze being on campus this week, is he going to be on the staff this year? All of these coaching staff moves that are being made, I think, are, are being maybe because Nick Saban thinks they're necessary for recruiting purposes. And to that end, uh, Mike Loxley is a very good recruiter. Seems to have the players' support, although I'll, I'll warn listeners that the players supporting a coach isn't a reason to hire a coach. Um, mm-hmm. So, But it's, it's a good thing, and it lets you know that they got a good relationship, and there's built-in advantages for Loxley. He obviously knows the personnel very well. So it looks like he would be the guy, I think, if they do hire Hugh Freeze which I think that's a very real possibility. It would probably be in in the role of an offensive analyst. If Hugh Freeze has had some other opportunities around the conference and the SEC hasn't been very, uh, let's say, accommodating to those opportunities hmm. for Hugh. So I don't know if there'd be an on-the-field position for Hugh, but if um, I, I do think Alabama would, would force the issue to get – if they thought Hugh Freeze was their guy, they're going to force the issue and they're going to make Greg Sankey come out and say it publicly – but I don't, I don't know necessarily that he's the guy, but I do think he could be an analyst a la uh, Sarkeesian and how he kind of re- mm-hmm. rehabilitated himself at Alabama mm-hmm. for a year. Uh, switching sides of the ball, is, is Nick Saban going with a combination of Pete Golding and uh, Tosh Lupoy at defensive coordinator, or should we kind of expect another hire for that opening? Unless there's just a shocking decision made. I, I know I mean, Pete hasn't told me this, but I know he's told people that, that he was promised he'd be at least a co-defensive coordinator. And so that would lead me to believe that, that him and Tosh are going to split things. The only other possibility I could I could see is this, if they elevated Tosh to an associate head coach kind of level, bumped his pay to keep him, and then brought in another defensive coordinator and, and that Pete Golden could share that title with. But I don't think that would address Tosh's career goals, which is how Nick Saban has been able to keep him in Tuscaloosa so long as to – you know, to keep him advancing and, and learning the defense. I mean, certainly that'd be an advancement in title and pay, but in terms of a guy that's never called a defense, that's not going to help him out there. But I absolutely think right now, as it stands, it's going to be Tosh Lapoy and, and Pete Golding. Okay. So looking back to last Monday night, you know, you already brought up the change at halftime, and, you know, the two of folks, they finally got their wish. And, you know, honestly, it couldn't have come at a better time now in hindsight and how mature Jalen was throughout that. That was just, it was unbelievable. And how entertaining is spring ball going to be on the offensive side this year? And, you know, how terrible are your ads on Twitter going to be during that time too? <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. You say uh, uh, exciting. I say nightmare. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so bizarre more than any other position on the football field or any other in sports quarterback competitions, bring out the absolute worst in people because people feel like they have to choose size, right? Because I'm a fan of this team and this is what I think would, would cause the team to win. or This will give us the best chance to win. And when you do that, you become emotionally invested, just like politics, that this is my guy. And here's the thing. 
it's okay to root for a guy, but you don't need to cheer against the other guy. There are two really good players that almost anyone in the country would love to have playing quarterback for Alabama. I would say nothing wrong with thinking one guy's better, but it doesn't mean you have to demean the other guy. Uh, as far as my ads, <laughs> they're already a wreck every day anyway. <laughs> I got a drink for you right now. That. Yeah, I came home and had a, a stiff bourbon tonight to deal with that. But, no, seriously, it, it's, it's going to be fun because I think both of these guys have handled it as, as well as they could possibly handle it. Handle it. I wish some of the, some people in the fan base would look at how an eighteen and a nineteen year old kid I had to call him kid, but young men handled this situation in the brightest spotlight. I wish the fans could do that. They're gonna support each other, they're gonna be good teammates. But coming out of spring, if it doesn't mm. look like one's gonna get a chance to play, we might be looking at a transfer. I know it's never safe to assume, but assuming Tua wins the the starting job, what are the chances that Jalen stays at Alabama? And we've kind of heard a lot of chatter about the possibility of a position change for Jalen. Is that realistic or is that just internet Twitter chatter? I think that's people daydreaming. This this guy (laughs) was a conference player of the year quarterback, and despite what some people think, I think if he was in the offense that suited what he could do, he could still be a really good quarterback. He's never going to be – a 65, 70% passer throwing the ball down the field and making quick reads and getting the ball out of his hand quickly. It's not who he is. But there are tons of college offenses that could utilize what he does and use it well. It's like me asking you guys to make me dinner, and I take, I take an entire set of ingredients off the table, and I say, still make me a good dinner. You might be able to make me a dinner, but it's not going to be as tasty as the ingredients that I took off the table. And that's the same thing. If I'm a quarterback and I do things really well, if you're not calling an offense that I do really well, you're not using, you're not being what you could be. And I think the, the fit with Jalen this year and Brian Dable wasn't great. That being said, I'm taking nothing away from Tua. Kid's amazing. He's an unbelievable talent. So it's going to be absolutely really, really, really difficult for Jalen to beat him out. That's where I stand right now. Anything can happen. I think Nick will give Jalen the first opportunity come spring. But I don't see how you keep Tua off the field. All right, he's Aaron Suttles of the Tuscaloosa News. Aaron, we appreciate you joining us, man. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys, take care. All right, man, thanks. All right, Aaron Suttles, Tuscaloosa News, always a great guest. He did bring up the possibility or or the fact that Hugh Freeze was in Tuscaloosa interviewing possibly for a spot on on staff at Alabama. I have a few thoughts on this because – the fan base is kind of split. Like, do you want Hugh Freeze? Do you not want Hugh Freeze? In what capacity would you take Hugh Freeze? Brad, is this is this a good idea to you? Well, I think it's just like our quarterback competition situation that's going to be arising in the spring again. It's it's going to tear the fan base apart as far as who's on what side. You know, a lot of people, due to the eth- uh, ethical situation of it, they don't like it. For me, I like it because not so much of our fan base and what he could do. I like it because... You know, ever since he, uh, you know, all this stuff came out with Ole Miss over the last year and a half, the conspiracy's been, well, oh, you know, we beat Alabama two years in a row, so Saban sent the troops in. Well, now Saban hires you after getting him fired, apparently. Oh, my God, the amount of chapped asses down there in Oxford. It would be it'd be just a great show to watch. And, uh, look, I think the guy is a very, very smart offensive coach. Um, I mean, you can follow his track record from high school to Arkansas State, you know, to Ole Miss and, 
Uh, I think he brings a lot to the table. Now, it's still a little fresh, you know, and that's the difference between maybe Sarkeesian or Kiffin and how they were viewed possibly as untouchable by a majority of schools. I think Aaron brought up a good point of, you know, the SEC and Greg Sankey's going to have to address it if Alabama tries to put him into a more on-field role instead of as an analyst that can't be down there uh, or have contact throughout the game. But I think it's it has its pros and its cons. I don't know which outweighs the other, but if Saban's making this move, if he ultimately does, I support it because, I mean, it's just Saban evolving even more, and he's continuing to be out for blood now um, by bringing someone like that in. He's just showing he's not stopping. Yeah, I'm, kind, I'm, on, the, I'm on the other side of this as you are. <sighs> to me, it's hard to process why anyone wants Hugh Freeze associated with Alabama. Like you said, from purely a football standpoint, sure. Like, I mean, I totally get it. It would be an absolute nightmare for everyone on their schedule. We've seen what he can produce in the SEC West and with less talent than what he would inherit in Tuscaloosa. There are a couple factors here to me. One is that Nick Saban would basically have his choice of most any play caller in the country. And this is me theoretically saying that he was up for the offensive coordinator position. Nick Saban would have his choice of most any play caller in the country. There are very few guys right now that would turn down that job knowing they get Tua, Najee Harris as a freshman, three freshman wide receivers that all look NFL bound, a true freshman tackle that produced at a high level in the national championship. You work with those guys for at least another two seasons if you take that job. You have options at tight end. Most of the offensive line is returning next season. You're basically being handed keys to a Lamborghini. They're being gift wrapped to you. So with so many talented coaches that would crawl to Tuscaloosa to be able to work with that, why take a chance on a guy that, one was very clearly cheating during his time at Ole Miss and is the center of an or was the center of an NCAA investigation that puts Ole Miss under sanctions to your bowl ban scholarship losses all we we all know the story two the guy was calling hookers during recruiting visits <laughs> on on a school issued phone so he could cheat on his wife hey, all, it's all morality <laughs> yeah all while spouting off bible verses every chance yeah. he got to get in front of a camera Three, and the, the worst one for me to, to get past, because, okay, if you're, if you're running around on your wife, like, okay, I, I get where some people would be like, hey, that's between you and your wife. As far as your profession goes, like, we can kind of push that aside. Like, I get why people say that. But for me, he also had a Facebook group set up by females that attended Briarcrest Christian, the high school in Memphis that he, that he coached at. They set this Facebook up so they could all discuss his behavior towards them while he, during, during his tenure there. The stories range from him paddling a high school girl in a room alone as a punishment um, to making another girl change her shirt in front of him in his office because she violated the school dress code. So in this day and age, in the year 2018, why does anyone want any of those things associated with Alabama? Like, do you suddenly think that he became a different guy because he's wearing a different logo on his shirt? No. He's the same guy that our entire fan base, by the way, was dogging out for years because we all knew how much of a fraud he was. Like, it was so evident, like, this guy is such a fraud. Where he, he tried to paint an image of himself in the public eye, the public eye that, that just wasn't anywhere close to what he actually is. And people can scream. I get why they scream, like, hey, trust Nick Saban. They can scream that as loud as they want to. And when it comes to football, I trust Nick Saban every hire that the man ever makes from a football standpoint. But I do not need Nick Saban to tell me the difference between right and wrong. And to me, giving Hugh Freeze another opportunity at Alabama is wrong. 
Yeah, and you know, I think the thing is, is how society is today. You have a two-week limit of outrage and attention until it gets brought back up again. So, yeah. you know, I, Hugh's not going to get the OC job, I don't believe. I think it will be more of an analyst role, uh, sort of like Aaron was saying. And the thing is, it'll blow over faster than I think most people expect it to. Because there's going to be the next thing to move on to be outraged about. But from a football yeah. standpoint, yes, it's a great mental ability that he has that you would like to have on your staff. Now, from a morality and ethical standpoint, and I'm not going to speculate as far as that Facebook group and stuff like that. But you, we do know for sure in Oxford that was you know what happened. And yeah. uh, I, I think the thing is you don't have a lot of things with coaches ever happen in Alabama um, that comes out very rarely, you know, two years ago was the first time. So I, I think it'll, he'll kind of just get tucked in into the back of the crowd and look, I mean, Saban has, like I said earlier, he's done more evolving in the last two years than he ever has, and he's going to continue to do that. And when you've got a guy like Tua, who presumably is going to be the guy for the future, the, the, Tua fits some things that Hugh Freeze could recommend or you know give advice yeah. for more than say Jalen. Yeah, to, to a T. I mean, it, it would be it would be a perfect marriage from a football standpoint. I I will not argue that for a nanosecond. And Mike Loxley, you know, he's he's a great recruiter, but he hasn't had a top 50 offense before from any stop he's ever been at. Mm -hmm. um, and he's ran different type of offenses, too. So to have consul consultation from different people, Chris Winkie, all of them, I think Hugh Freeze inside of that room, too from that standpoint of X's and O's is going to help Alabama to that point where we may have an offense potential that's used and utilized that we've never had before. But from the ethical side, uh, let's just say he's going to be under a tight watch. And my thing is, Wes, if he's late for meetings, what what phone number are they going to call to try to find out when, where he's at? <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, from – from a football standpoint, I'm just it is going to be a night nightmare for everybody that Alabama faces. And like you said, in two weeks, nobody will even remember that he's on staff if he's hired as a, as an offensive analyst. There's not going to be public outrage in in two weeks. It'll be no. it'll be the day he's hired, and some people will find something else to be mad about the, in 24 hours. But yeah. but to me, so, some of the outrage and some of the points that will be made when they give him a chance, are going to be justified. And that's just something that we're going to have to deal with. It, I'm not going to sit here and be like, you know, I'm not, not, not on such a moral high ground where I'm like, hey, I'm not, I'm not a fan of this team anymore, you know, because they hired Hugh Freeze. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's not that extreme, but I'm, I just don't like the guy. I don't, I don't like the fact that it's even an option at this point. Yeah, I mean, uh, I said this on Twitter the other day, they could hire Jeffrey Dahmer, and I'm, I'm going to be at the game. So, like... <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's just I think that Nick Saban and the university are, are going to deserve a little bit of the blowback that they're going to get if they make that decision. All right, and now for a more in-depth look on uh, what happened last Monday night, we're joined by Cole Kublik of the SEC Network. Cole, we appreciate you joining us. So uh, what did you see in the trenches during the national championship Monday night as far as comparability? Uh, how close is Kirby and Georgia to Alabama when it comes to that phase of the game? Uh I don't think they're there on the interior of the defensive line just yet, uh, but I think I think on the edge they're they're pretty close. Lorenzo Carter is just a freak athlete. Uh, you saw Bellamy make some plays, do some things, and I think he he has probably an idea of what he wants, what he needs, and and those two guys are sufficient for now. Uh, there, I, I don't know if he has the numbers to be able to roll the bodies inside that he would like to, and sort of the body types don't exactly fit the profile of, of what he wants them to be and, and where he needs them to be. And I think depth 
is, is a small issue inside right now. Uh, Atkins played really nice this year, sort of their their run stopper, sort of their guy who can who can occupy and take up space and, and sort of hold up two offensive linemen at times. But he just I don't I don't think he he has the guys who can be as disruptive as he wants them to be just yet. I mean, he's got some guys that do different things. You know, 52 is a guy that made some plays in the, in the Rose Bowl and, and did some nice things against Alabama. But I, I think when you look at the combination of size, agility, quickness, power, hands, Kirby just doesn't have the same kind of guys, especially inside that Alabama does right now. And I mean, it's just, I said going into last season that I thought Deron Payne could leave as the best interior defensive lineman of the Saban era. I don't know if he will leave this year accomplishing that, but I think he's probably top three. And watching the last two, three weeks of the season, I think I feel the same way about Raycorn Davis going into next year. And he's a guy who I kind of thought that his his height, his length, would be something that would be very difficult for him to overcome. You just you don't see a lot of interior defensive linemen that are six 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 seven, And it sounds nice. It sounds like, yeah, that guy will be able to get his hands up. He'll be able to take up passing lanes. Uh, you know, it would be nice to have that kind of length inside. But then when you start to consider things like leverage in the run game, it's just it, it doesn't really add up. But he has really – I thought Raekwon Davis did a nice job this year of turning himself into a defensive lineman. He's not he's not just a big, physical, freakish athlete that gets on the field and tries to move guys around and shows off his power and his athleticism. I mean, he became a defensive lineman this year, and, and he understands technique and he understands fundamentals. And, and if he can make any kind of similar strides that he made from two years ago going into this past season – Going in again to this next season, I mean, he he's got a chance to be the best interior defensive tackle in the league, and that's saying a lot because there's some good ones coming back. Hey, Cole, Brad Canning here. Thanks for joining us again, and I wanted to have you give us your opinion on the job that Alex Leatherwood did filling in at left tackle as a true freshman in the biggest game of his life. He was awesome, and and I think the thing that impressed me the most was his demeanor. Uh, you didn't see him panic. You didn't see him sort of freak out. Uh, you didn't see him get frustrated. He did give up one pressure, and it was kind of a poor set, but he bounces right back on the next play and the next few plays after that and, and looks fine and, most importantly, looks comfortable. Um, he's got great length. He's got perfect body to play tackle, moves really well, changes direction is something that I noticed with him uh, in some of his all-star game practices that I studied before he got to Alabama. And, and I think the thing with Alex – is probably similar to a lot of guys in Tuscaloosa. The thing that doesn't get talked about enough with certain guys is that football means a lot to him. And if you talk to Scott Cochran, the Alabama strength coach, about certain guys that really sort of exceed and excel and do more and leave there as some of the greatest players that they've had, that's a consistent thing that Scott Cocker will tell you is football really means a lot to that guy. And I think, especially at a young age, Alex Leatherwood is one of those guys. And to be able to come in on that stage against that team, against those athletes at that time, uh, it's pretty impressive what he was able to do. Because uh, I thought he looked very comfortable in pass protection. He looked aggressive enough uh, in the run game. 
and his body balance looked really good. It's easy to get over aggressive in a situation like that and get caught out on your toes and sort of fall on your face at different times or try and punch a guy's lights out and pass protection and whiff, but he didn't. He was very patient. He kind of forced the defenders to come to him and show good lateral movement, and I think he's going to be going to be a special player. And it's going to be a nice luxury for Brent Key having him there because I think it will, will allow them to sort of toy with Jonah Williams in, in going into this offseason and potentially take a look at him somewhere else. Yeah, we, we've obviously heard you bring up the potential of uh, defensive lineman Raquan Davis that, that he has going forward and with another full offseason to develop. Him and Isaiah Bugs, I'm also interested in. What does it mean for Alabama to have him have them returning? And do you see those two being guys that could be in uh, a, the discussion for a top pick next year? I think Raquan Davis will, if, if he continues to excel and continues to improve, he is a no-brainer first-rounder. And I hear great things about him off the field as well, as, as concerning his character and his attitude and just what kind of young man he is. Um, a pretty interesting background and, and just a, uh, a really cool individual. And I think that'll be something that's just as impressive uh, when, when he's looking at coming out. I think Bugs is a guy who, could, who can sort of fit more of the Jonathan Allen role I think he brings that sort of quickness and elusiveness, but can really hold up inside and will be a guy that I think Alabama sort of moves around a lot next year. Uh, he could be sort of out where Deshaun Hand was playing a lot this year. And I think with his quickness, uh, the, the more they can find ways to get him in one-on-ones, the more havoc he'll be able to reap. And, and he can be a guy – He the, the impressive thing to me, and if someone asked me about Carl Dunbar – earlier this week, and the thing that, that almost always proved to me a good position coach is not – because what Charles Bentley told me a long time ago, and it's one of the best quotes I've ever heard, all these coaches that claim first-round draft picks and number one overall selections and, and this and that, it's kind of funny to me sometimes because you'll get a guy – you get a position coach that comes in and inherits a kid and you know claims that they coached him as a first-rounder. It's just obvious that they weren't the one that necessarily put him there. But what Charles' quote to me was, you know, first-rounders were created and developed when the egg hit the seed. I mean, so much of it is genetic that it's kind of <laughs> funny to think otherwise. And I think when you look at the way that some of these defensive linemen improved throughout the course of the season, and that to me is really where you show – that you're a quality position coach is when your guys, when you look at a group or you look at an individual from weeks one, two, and three to weeks 10, 11, 12, how different of a football player are you? And I thought Isaiah Bugs was a very different football player from the first third of the season to the last third of the season. I thought Raycorn Davis was a very different player from the first third of the season to the last third of the season. And I thought Deron Payne even did some things much better very late in the season than he did early in the season. Those, that's what shows to me that you are a quality assistant coach, is that when, when you can find the ways to have your guys improve over the course of the regular season, and he was able to do that for those guys. So, yeah, I think, I think Bugs will be an impact guy next year, and, and Raekwon Davis is just going to be an absolute star. Well, finally, Cole, I wanted to ask you, we saw the news this week that uh, Coach Herfan's leaving Auburn going to Texas, and – you know, if you were offered that job, would you take it in a hypothetical sense? And, you know, I've seen the campaigning for you on Twitter all week. And um, would you have any interest in coaching in general, though? 
I, I think it's something that I'll always be interested in and something that's always going to be appealing to me just because I love the game so much. And, you know, my mom was a teacher, so I grew up uh, in, in a household uh, with an educator and just kind of understanding, impacting young lives and what that means and what that's about. And uh, I think for me to try and help guys improve and get better, it's something that I've, I've sort of done in my spare time, uh, you know, somewhat from a coaching perspective and somewhat just uh, when people ask me for advice. Um, you know, I think, I think the Auburn offensive line coaching job is one that if anyone ever did call and ask me to take it, I would probably have to do it. And just uh, something that I would feel more like almost as much as being, as I was obligated to do it as I wanted to do it. But it's something that would mean a lot to me now. Does that mean that I'm just flat out looking to get into coaching? No, not necessarily. Uh, but I, I would never say never to it. People ask me all the time, why have you never gotten into coaching? And my response is easy. I've never been asked to. So, uh, I guess you don't really know what you would do until you're asked to do it. So, and I haven't been, but it's definitely something that I, that I would never rule out. It's, it's something that I think would definitely be appealing. It's something I think I'd be good at and I, I would definitely be interested in, but it would, it would take the right situation. You know, being married, having a, a two and a half year old and a seven month old, it, it's obviously, you know, I don't think we're going to pack up for, um, you know, Kalamazoo, Michigan and go coach, uh, you know, Mac football offensive line next year. I mean, that's, that's not going to be, that's not going to be a real possibility. So uh, the situation would have to be something that that was an almost perfect fit for us. All right. Cole Kubelik of the SEC network. Cole, we, we greatly appreciate you joining us again, man. Thank you. Thank you, sir. No, man, anytime. Look forward to doing it again soon. All right. Take thank care. you. All right. So once again, thank you to Cole Kubelik of the SEC network. Great guest as always, Brad, we did have a couple of PSAs that we wanted to hit. Absolutely. I love these things. This is my, this is the one thing I look forward to every week. No offense to you. Um, my first PSA I had was we missed on the opportunity to have the championship parade on two twenty six. God, that was perfect. Two yeah. and twenty six, second and twenty six. Uh, it's cheesy, but it was perfect. My second one that I had was I just I just want to know what what in the hell was Sports Illustrated thinking? Like, what are you doing, fam? What 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 is that magazine, that commemorative magazine with that damn hat on yeah. Coach Saban? You know, I've got a rocket that I built a couple of years ago for a certain assistant coach that, to fire in the sun that I never used. I'm going to load up every one of those magazines and fire them into the sun. That is just atrocious. Yeah, for anyone that did not see that, they, uh, they photoshopped a picture of Bear Bryant's hat onto Nick Saban's head. I can't even remember what the hot, the uh, headline the was. The hat fits. Yeah, the hat fits. <laughs> there it is. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it got a lot of... Uh, 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 it got a, a pretty negative response. So, hmm. anyways, probably not the greatest idea from them. Um, mine is that you should throw away uh, Michigan's entire program. Tweeted out by our—I wouldn't say friends at Busted Coverage, but tweeted out by Busted Coverage. Tua Tungavaloa threw 11 touchdowns this season. Michigan threw nine touchdowns this season. Michigan quarterbacks: <laughs> 346 attempts, nine touchdowns. Tua: 77 attempts, 11 touchdowns. So that's our own Unreal. to the most uh, most overrated blue blood program in the history of college football. Yeah, but they throw you know sleepovers like we can't. So that's true. Another PSA I had was you just got to hide your recruiting boards and your playbooks from Kirby Smart. Yeah, yeah. So so I find it fitting that Coach Carl Dunbar's backpack is you know stolen 
um, in a secure location he was at. And also a couple weeks earlier, Auburn had their playbook stolen. Now that was from the other national champions of this year, UCF probably. But, you know, the whole recruiting board thing with Kirby Smart, that was used to his advantage and it no longer is applicable, though, because of when that recruiting board was filled out two years ago and where those recruits are now at their respective colleges. But still, I've always heard, you know, recruiting is the most cutthroat thing in college football. It's not coaching. It's not anything else. It's recruiting. And I mean, the, the body wasn't even cold yet between the relationship of Kirby and Nick. And he did that of Snapchat, do it for the vine, takes a picture of the recruiting board and goes out and shows it to everybody. And I also heard that he was using that with um, Mo Smith's mom to have her, you know, also call the recruits and tell them about how Mo was treated and then also how they're not on the top of the recruiting boards and everything, too. So, I mean, I get it. But damn, Kirby, why you got to do us like that? Yeah. I think it might have been an inside job at the old uh, Marriott in Atlanta. Two weeks in a row, two secure Um, locations for the backpacks. I don't know. know. Somebody Um, needs to investigate the uh, the, uh, Marriott in (laughs) downtown Atlanta. Yeah. But anyways, moving on. We we hit on it a little bit with with Aaron Suttles, the the Tua and Jalen dynamic going forward for Alabama. Part of me kind of feels for Jalen. I am a Jalen Hurts fan. I think that's been evident since the first time we recorded. But I think anyone watching that game knows that Alabama was not going to win it if Jalen starts the second half, or if he finishes things out. I'm not even sure that Alabama scores at all. So while I'm sure it, it was a tough call for the staff to make, for Nick Saban to make, it, it was also a necessary move. The thing that just uh, it continues to blow my mind, especially in today's society, is – I picture myself at 18, 19 years old and in Jalen's shoes and, you know, then coach coming in and, and telling me that news at halftime. I, I don't know how I would have handled that, but I can promise you myself and majority of people in that situation would not have handled it with the class that Jalen did. I, I can't fathom just how amazing this kid is as a person. And I, you know, been a Jalen supporter. I've been the guy, you know, that's kind of tried to steer these people clamoring for Tua away, you know, back into reality when truth be told. In hindsight, it's easy to say because he, you know, came in and did what he did, but it maybe was the right move. And, uh, you know, I ate crow. I apologize to the people that I kind of separated from myself. And, uh, you know, it's I, I think the most impressive thing to me is just the fact that we have two quarterbacks like this now at the University of Alabama, and we're actually entering a time now to where the only transfer you may have at quarterback is not because they're not getting playing time because they just you know have been there for four years sitting on the bench. No, it's because you've got two quarterbacks that could probably start at th- three-quarters of the entire country battling it out right now, which is probably a first under Nick Saban. Yeah, I know exactly how I would have reacted at 18 years old, and it, I, I'm not so sure that I would have made like a public embarrassment of myself. Like I wouldn't. You would have gone Makai Brown. Yeah, right. I would not. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think I would have done that. But I would have been crushed. I would yeah. have been crushed. I mean, I think I would still would have cheered on my teammates, but it, inside I would have been crushed. I mean, Jalen is a guy that has done a lot for the university in his short time there. He he comes like I mean we can go back to the first game he comes in as a true freshman on a neutral site game against USC who is one of the more talented teams in the country in the first game of his career and it takes him no time to settle down he kind of takes control of the offense after Blake Barnett's like total deer in the headlights he looks scared yeah, he scared the, to death and he fumbled the ball in his first career snap yeah and and it takes him no time to snap out of it he leads a comeback against Ole Miss an Ole Miss team that had beaten. Alabama the two previous seasons yep. and then goes on to win the SEC Offensive Player of the Year award in year one while leading Alabama to a national championship appearance as a true freshman. 
And even yeah. in that game, while you know he had his struggles, we all know this. When it came down to the last series, uh, he found his way to the end zone. No, he did that uh, probably three or four times in his career so far. And, you know, I'm going to go ahead and just give my thanks to him for everything he has done. And he did exactly what was needed from him for the most part all the way up till now. I feel as if we're, we've seen the writing on the wall now. I think he does, too. I think he's going to give it a go. But I don't I don't think it's I think it's probably 60 40 right now that, you know, he transfers out before the start of the season. That, of course, Nick Saban hires Brian Dable, who was probably suited more for Tua than a guy like Jalen mm-hmm. uh, as a quarterback, uh, whereas Kiffin was probably more suited. I mean, I think Kiffin could have would have been successful with either one of them, honestly, but I, yeah. I think Kiffin was better suited for Jalen than Dable was. He probably didn't have as good of a season statistically as he did his freshman season, but the state, look, the team still goes 11-1 and before making the playoffs, so yeah. I can say I have an appreciation for what Jalen Hurts has done at Alabama, how he's carried himself, the type of person he appears to be, how he responded to being a true freshman starting quarterback at Alabama and just the type of representative he has been for Alabama. So while I know the move to pull him was necessary, look, I'm as excited about the potential of Tua as anyone is, but part of me does still feel for Jalen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but I am on board the Tua train now. I'm a little late to the uh, the station, but hey, I'm here. I'm strapped in. I'm ready to go. And I look forward to exciting things if it does indeed go the way we're all kind of thinking and uh, I wish Jalen nothing but the best if it does come down to him transferring. And, you know, I saw somebody say that, granted, his touchdown interception ratio is awesome. But at the same time, I mean, you talked about how Tua had less than 80 passes and he had 11 touchdowns. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the kind of exciting uh, gameplay he can bring. But he also, um, right now at least, he brings that ultimate over-the-top weapon consistently that we've kind of missed this year, you know, that was taken advantage of. All right, well, before we kind of wrap things up here on the uh, Roll Bama Roll podcast, Brad, I think you had something to say. Yeah, look, guys, I uh, I can't appreciate, you know, you guys listening every week. I know <laughs> it's it's been probably questionable at times of why you did, just like following me on Twitter. I don't know why you guys follow me on Twitter. I went back last night and looked at my tweets from last Monday. What are you guys thinking? Um, but, no, we are very grateful for this opportunity that Roll Bama Roll has given us. And we've come a long way, Wes, from uh, our first episode back uh, in week four. And, um, you know, it's been great to have this opportunity to have guests on that we had and and interview people that we have and uh, just, you know, have maybe chances to talk and get opinions to people that we never would have had that position before without this. And, you know, you guys ultimately are who we do it for. You know, yeah, Wes and I sit here and we talk to ourselves, but, you know, ultimately it's you guys. And what we would love is for you guys to leave, you know, some comments below of, what you liked, what you didn't like throughout the season, if you've been listening and what we can do better. And this is our season finale for football. You know, obviously we're going to probably continue bringing a product and we'll touch on football when needed. And Wes is going to kind of tell you about that. But I just, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you guys. And, uh, you know, sorry for the cussing at times, but Hey, we're all passionate and I know I'm not alone. Yeah. And even building off that, I mean, we, we've, uh, we've gained a lot of listeners, since early in the season or since we first started, which is, you know, it's kind of hard to gain a little, it's kind of hard to gain leverage like that on a podcast sometimes. But uh, the the platform that Roll Bama Roll kind of gives us helps with that. And look, we're, we're glad that we're getting more listeners every week. We greatly appreciate that. We are going to have at least one episode later on solely dedicated to basketball. 
and the, the standing of the basketball team, something that I'm very passionate about. Um, we are going to have a recruiting episode probably after signing day. Look, there's always football news. I mean, year round, basically. So, so we will, we will, we will stay on top of it. We will continue bringing you more episodes, and we just want to say say thank you. All right, that'll do it for this week's uh, episode of the Roll Bama Roll podcast. We appreciate you listening. Roll Todd.